Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Kim Ralph Snape, and I miss video store so much I opened one in my own home. Packed with VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching in a highly inappropriate age. Every week, I force my co hosts, Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald, to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around, and sign up for a membership. There are no late fees because this week we're turning the lights down low and hoping our parents don't hear the TV on after we should be asleep. This is Weird Kid TV Corner. Different business. Different business. Different business. No Kira, her voice was stolen by a mermaid after she accidentally placed an ancient sea ghost on herself by playing a jaunty tune on a shell she found on a... I was there, I saw it. Or she has a cold. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how it works. (laughs) I basically Uh, wrote that bit for her to enjoy when she listens to the podcast. I'm sure she will. Stop making out with mermaids, Kira. I never said anything about making out. (laughs) Once again. You had to go horny. <laughs> Assumed it's not horny. So God just, damn it. So it's just me and Brody. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's Keen and I after three hours of talking shit, we finally realized we had to record. Today in the Weed Kid TV corner, grab your puns, boys and ghouls. We're talking about the first two episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Murder, madness, mayhem, and that's just the fun part. From the man who gave you 48 hours. Revolting, but so current. Need a little holiday feel? Shall I scare up the man who framed Roger Rabbit? The killer is here! You asked for it. You got it. Oh. Screaming for more? I have this little number from Superman's Super Master. They sought to kill you. Count on it, but you can count on my directors. Three Tales from the Crypt, June 10th on HBO. It's a night to dismember. <laughs> Warning strong content, parental discretion advised. It was really interesting. What would you classify this? It's it would it, you classify it as gateway horror? No, it's for adults, it's not for children. Interesting. Because it, it was a bit silly, you know what I mean? But it's I suppose it's a show, so it's got to have that levity to it. Yeah, and the episodes vary in tone. They're not all silly. Interesting. It is a horror anthology show, uh-huh. as we were going to talk about. So had you ever seen any Tales from the Crypt before? You watched the first two episodes? I knew of Tales of the Crypt, but I'd never seen any. I thought I would have like seen some imagery that... Like was familiar, so you weren't even familiar with the imagery of like the crypt keeper or no, anything. No, but oh, I knew wow. of the crypt keeper. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know how that permeated into my being without knowing anything about the actual show. But yeah, was it massive? Yeah, it was a big deal. Right, like kind of for a short period of time. It's weird. We'll talk about it. Obviously, as like part of the context of the on episode. TV at home, big deal. What? Less so in Australia. Less so in Australia. Was but it I'll like talk a about Saturday it night a, show? No, no. I'll talk about it as we kind of as we okay. kind of move through. Curious. I asked you to write down what you thought the show was about before you watched the two episodes. I did not write it down. <laughs> looking it up. Okay, you don't have to write it down. You can just do it from your your your, your brain. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, but so, what I thought it was before. Yeah, what did you think Tales from the Crypt was before you saw it? Um, I think I was pretty spot on. I thought it was like a horror version of, um, horrible histories. 
Yeah, interesting. So I thought it had a bit more of a true story element to it, but was more horror and gore than, say, a horrible histories, which is all about disgusting stuff. Right. So you thought it was like they took real life horror stories and then turned them into the and turned them into the yeah, episodes. not like necessarily like horror as in like um, this guy broke into a house and murdered six people, like more like thrillery kind of horror where like, oh, no one knows exactly what happened with this. Yeah, like mysteries? Yeah. Right, interesting, because it's not that at all. It's not. No. I was pleasantly surprised though. Tales from the Crypt ran for seven seasons. Wow. From 1989 through to 1996, and there is 93 episodes. Is this like around the exact same time as like that game Graveyard? Oh, you mean Nightmare? Nightmare. I the VHS board Nightmare. game Nightmare? Yeah. Also known as Atmosphere, depending on which part of the world you work on. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. The game Nightmare, the game hosted by a video. the gatekeeper! To win, you must stop it. Roll the die! The video board game Nightmare, the gatekeeper talks to you. He's turn as it net. And you must answer him. Answer me! Yes, my gatekeeper. Go for it! Nightmare, a race against time for three to six very game players. Yeah, because it has very similar like aesthetics. Yeah, there's every chance that Nightmare ripped off the Crypt Keeper a little bit. We love those games. Yeah, we do. We play those games at Halloween. Ellie does not. No. <laughs> Last year we tried to play and it was disastrous, but it was disastrous for other reasons. <laughs> so, oh we can't God. talk about it on the podcast. No, keep it PG. Let's just say that... I couldn't speak. <laughs> My history with Tales, Tales from the Crypt. Jesus Christ. <laughs> to answer your earlier question, this is a show that played in Australia late at night because of the violence and the sex. Yeah. And I remember just stumbling across it, being a small child, staying up way too late in my room with the TV quiet so that my parents couldn't hear me. It would be a and dope thing to stumble across. Like stumbling across like random ep- random episodes. Yeah. The other thing about Tales from the Crypt is because it's an anthology show, you don't have to see them in order. You can just watch them. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I never knew what time it was on or even what channel. I just remember kind of coming across it. There was a couple of times where I hit record on a VCR. So I had a couple of episodes on tape very cool they would also often air in doubles so that you get two because they'd fill an hour and i think that the ones that i had were remember, from the later season do you remember how fucking special that felt on telly like before we got to streaming and things like that when you got like a double app on a show or like or you just saw something that was gory and or had nudity in it yeah oh, late at night that's a, i was so surprised by the nudity in this well it was on cable television in america it was on hbo so uh, hbo wasn't doesn't have the same standards as television so they could do violence and and nudity and all kinds of and all kinds of stuff and the gore right was it on sbs in Australia, I don't think so. It was just late night television. That's like the only channel I feel like would have got away with that level of nudity. Well, after after like the watershed, which yeah. is which is when you can start putting profanity on television, which I think what do in you Australia. Mean? What's the watershed? After I think nine o'clock in Australia, you can have swearing and you can have violence and you can have nudity that uh. you can't have before that time of the day. Where it's does watershed the, come from? I don't. No. <laughs> okay. Ken, why don't you know the etymology of every I single word? I think it's because of the, like, think about it like a high water mark. After the high water mark, you can Interesting. maybe. Interesting. Could be. Mm. I just know it's called that, right? That's often why movies would start at 8.30 and you could have movies that had <sighs> profanity and violence in them. But more often or not, they were also still edited for television. So they would take out all the fucks, too many yeah, fucks. Okay. 
right, and the violence. I have great memories of having movies taped off television that were the only versions of those movies that I had seen. Yeah. Because they were like R-rated movies. And all the profanity is is cut out. The best example is I remember when Pulp Fiction aired in Australian television for the first time. Yeah. Samuel Jackson's got the bad motherfucker wallet. Oh, yeah. So they cut out him saying bad motherfucker. Yeah. But they also zoomed in on the wallet so it just says bad mother. They cropped (laughs) the fuck around of it. And I had that version of that movie on tape for a really long time. The amount of effort... They went to back in the day and now everything's just as is readily available streaming to whoever can click on it. Sometimes Disney Plus did add uh, a lot of hair, fake CGI hair onto Daryl Hannah's butt for the movie Splash because it's a PG movie from the 80s where you see her butt. (laughs) And Disney was like, no, 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 we must think of the children. Lengthen the hair, lengthen the hair. We must think of the children. And, you know, getting back to Tales from Wait, wait, wait. One thing. Did you ever have, like, those really long tapes so that you could just, like, leave it in the VCR and just press record? Yeah, extended extended play tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so excited when we got an extended play I know. They were so fucking handy. Three-hour tape into a six-hour tape. Oh, what? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Then you've got to find a VCR. It just, it actually halves the amount of data being put on the tape so everything looks shittier. That's fascinating that they did that, though. Yeah. Interesting choice. In Australia and in other parts of the world, Tales from the Crypt was released on VHS under the title Vault of Horror. So mm. you can walk into a video store, you see Vault of Horror Volume 1 and a bunch of celebrity names on it, Vault of Horror Volume 2. and so Is that what the Australian name was? Yeah. And oh, so okay. I remember renting those from video stores and then being like, this is Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I've never heard of Vault of Horror. Well, it, I'll talk about why it was called Vault of Horror in, in, in a second. That a would second. be confusing as well because he says Tales of the Crypt in the show. We'll get to. Okay, okay. We'll get to why. <laughs> and I'm actually chasing down some Vault of Horror tapes in the moment. There's a movie, which I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. Really? I have. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Universal Pictures is proud to present the motion picture directing debut of one of America's most talented and respected artists. Cut! Cut, 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 cut! Oh, hello, kitties. So glad you could join me. Your pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. I'm directing my first feature film, Care for a little shriek preview? (laughs) For my big screen premiere, I wanted lots of suspense. Uh Special effects, sex, violence. The kind of thing you could really sink your teeth into. Frights, camera, action. Chase through the ages, a race against time. The war between good and evil. Come on, everybody, it's time to play. And the final battle between man. I'm sorry. And demon. I'm not gonna hurt you. I lied. It stars Billy Zane from Dead Calm, William Sadler from Die Hard 2, and Jada Pinkett from Menace to Society. Ooh, I love those titles. And you'll love Demon Knight. They're here! The demons are here! And ladies, if you think Demon Knight is too gross and yucky... Whoa! Thank you! <laughs> 
came out in 1995. That does sound vaguely familiar. And that was a massive deal when I was in high school. That really? movie coming out was a, hu- was a huge deal. But I'm going to talk more about that when we cover Demon Knight because we're, it's on the list. Yeah, dope. This show is not very widely available. Due to licensing issues, it doesn't exist in HD and it's not currently streaming on HBO Max. That doesn't surprise me. It's not really a style of show that we see and have a much of an appetite for these days. If you think about it, if it was streaming... You have to like the the rights for Tales of the Crypt are complicated. The licensing for for the for the titles. What do you mean? Well, as we'll kind of talk about, they're all each episode is based on a comic. Ah, uh, so you have to license the comic. Who gets paid? Who owns it? It's com- complicated. Yeah, okay. And then also all of the actors, the contracts were their contracts for just for television airing on HBO. Yeah, and then yeah. so putting it on a streaming service, do you have to renegotiate contract with actors that did something almost thirty years ago? Ah, oh, that's so interesting. That's one of the reasons that it's never ended up on a streaming service. It very briefly was on Vudu, which is a streaming service. I don't think we even have in yeah, have in Australia. Yeah, but in standard in standard definition, so it's really hard to find. Basically, you need to shell out for the DVDs. It was released on DVD or track down Vault of Horror VHS tapes, which I am actively doing. Did you show me specific episodes or was this ep one and two? It's one and two. Wow. Strong start. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history, about the history of the Please. show. Right. It's based on EC Comics issues. EC? Yes, EC, which started as educational comics in the 1930s. Uh-huh. It's actually one of the very first comic books that was ever put in a newsstand and they told pretty mundane children's stories. Yeah. They were started by a guy named Max Gaines. But Max died in a boating accident. First of all, let's just like appreciate Max, how great Max that Gaines. name is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maxwell Gaines. Yeah. Max Gaines, yeah. And mm-hmm. his son took over the, com- the company, William Gaines. And Will Gaines. These are great names. Will started publishing more kind of adult-orientated stories, mostly in crime and war stories, mm-hmm. because there was an appetite for that with young men who had come back from World War II. Crime, crime and like saving people from crime was like, what comics are right? Yeah, but but more adult, like not not Batman fighting crime, like pulp noir. But that's how detective. comics kind of started, didn't they? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I don't get into the, in the entire history of comics, but yeah. yeah. But not superhero stuff, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Sure. More realistic stories. Pulp, yeah, this pulp first stories. step had a pretty hard noir vibe. Yeah, and then he started mixing in science fiction stories and horror titles as well under titles like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Ah. and Haunt of Fear. Haunt of Fear. Yeah. (laughs) And doubling down. And Two-Fisted Tales. (laughs) That sounds sick. EC Comics had basically had a bunch of like a bunch of titles and the titles were like kind of like little mini genres on their own. So each title had a different style of story attached Ah. to it. Um, But it didn't last very long. Because he was really pushing the envelope and what you could get away with, like, yeah. um, like you know, promoting racial equality and anti-war sentiments and trying to yeah, but he did it wrapped in a very pulpy like and setting environmentalism. No, they were ridiculously progressive, and people thought that was bad. So it I'm wasn't saying. because they were wrapped in a pulp setting and then got like mixed up with all the blood and, and no, sex. it's that it's it's that William Gaines was ahead of his time in terms of his social politics. So he was promoting racial equality in a time when the United States did not want racial equality. What a hero! They were painted in the media by politicians as being major factors in juvenile delinquency. In this comic book, is a love story, a boy and girl in love. 
They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrative, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific term on television. I think there ought to be a law against them. Tonight I'm going to show you why. Fuck, it's always the way, hey. There was a book that came out that basically said that comics were the worst thing that existed in society and that and that they were corrupting the children to the point that there was Someone a, think about the children. Well, someone will cut in Maud Flanders here. <laughs> yeah. oh, won't somebody please think of the children? There was even a Senate hearing where Gaines had to testify. Is this, what era is this? Is this like before Satanic Panic? Oh, Satanic Panic is the 80s, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, long before, 30 years before. Right, okay. It resulted in the comic book industry deciding to self-police themselves by creating the comic code that everybody was going to play by the rules, so you weren't allowed to So they got a rating. Essentially, well- Think more censorship. Oh. You can't do all the. Here's a list of all the things you can't do. Here's a list of all the words you can't use. Here's Fucking a list of America, all the scenarios. Man. Right? Oh, freedom. But don't uh, say shit. Gaines refused to sign up to the code. Good. What a fucking hero. And then America lost its fucking goddamn mind when he published a comic where an astronaut from Earth visits a planet of robots where the robots are identical but come in two different colors. And one of the colors has less rights than the other. Wow. Wait for it. That's not what they lost their minds about. What they lost their minds about was the end of the comic where the astronaut takes off his helmet and is revealed to be a black man. No. They were That's so affronted, what they lost their they shit were about. so affronted by the idea of a black astronaut. Fucking hell. The yeah. 50s were a bad time. Yeah. Eventually sales plummeted because no newspaper stand would take his, would take his titles. Unsurprising. So, so EC's horror comics only lasted five years. By 1955, he had to stop selling them. Imagine imagine that, man. Imagine having a successful business and you are so hard into your uh, beliefs, which are morally right and, you know, progressive. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. There's also lots of sex and violence in them, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm positioning that as not being a bad thing. No, it's not. All. It's not. The depiction of and enjoyment of those kind of stories are not a bad thing not at, at all. all. No. no. But um, imagine going so hard in the paint that you ruin your business and you're like, I'm doing this on purpose. He landed okay. Okay, good. He should. So he had one title that was kind of successful. It was a small little comedy comic that was doing really well. So he decided to shift all of his resources into turning that into a magazine. Mad? Mad magazine, magazine, yeah. Wow. Good guess. Thank you. Yeah. Well, which it was I the read, only comedy magazine that was around that yeah, time. Yeah, which I read lots. Of, I had a subscription when I was a kid. I loved Mad Magazine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. So that guy, no wonder you can tell that there's an overlap between that kind of pulpy fiction and the style of that magazine. Yeah. That's awesome. In 1972, there was a British anthology movie that adapted five of the comics, but it's not related to the TV show, but cool. it's worth name checking. Uh, for a particular Good. reason. I've actually never seen it. Yeah, okay. It has a lot of, it's got like Peter Cushing and a bunch of like- The Cush. A lot of British horror icons in it. Yeah, okay. And I have been meaning to chase it down, but I haven't been able to find it. So The Cush generally does good work. Yes and no. He's always enjoyable. And then Tales from the Crypt, the TV show, was executive produced and created by a fucking murderer's row of producers. What do you mean? Oh my God. Okay. So 
The executive producers of the show are Joel Silver, who we talked about yeah, yeah. on the Roadhouse episode. Yeah. Because he produced like pretty much all of the great 80s action movies, like yeah. The Weapon, Die Hard, Predator, yeah, Commander, yeah, yeah. what have you. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Wait for it. Richard Donner, who's the director of Superman, The Omen, all the Lethal Weapon movies, and The Goonies. Wow. He's also one of the producers on the X-Men movies with his wife. Wow. Lauren Shuler Donner. David Geiler, who was a producer and uncredited rewriter of Alien and Hectic. its sequels. He was producing partners with another guy, Walter Hill, who's also a producer on the show, who's a director, who directed The Driver, The Warriors, 48 Hours and its Whoa. sequel, and Streets of Fire. Whoa. Yeah. The Warriors. Fuck, I love that movie. And Robert Zemeckis. Oh. Director of Romancing the Stone, the Back to the Future movies, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Death Becomes a Contact, and many, many more. Wow. And they all banded together to be the producers of this show. Bullshit. Yeah. What the fuck? It's wild. We're not even there yet, man. Wait till you Holy hear some, shit, wait till man. you hear some shit that I'm gonna gonna tell you about this show, right? So they banded together as the crypt partners and hired a producer that they had worked with, William Tetler, to be the showrunner. Is that name big? That name sounds no. familiar. No, he's just a producer that worked with them, but he okay. was the he's the guy in charge of the day to day, right? Yeah, cool, cool, cool. And he was the showrunner for a couple of seasons and then somebody else took over, but I didn't write down who took over. Who Would took you over. call that man the line producer or is that something different? That's something different, but well, I'm not gonna just tell you what a line producer is right now. I was just asking. And the show was a, was a big enough hit and did well enough on HBO, which at the time was like a, which at the time was kind of just in its starting rise heyday on American cable television that they signed a deal for movies with Universal, but only one of them would end up in cinemas. So mm. Demon Knight's the only one that ended up in cinemas. Did any others get made? Yes. So okay. there is a, there's Bordello of Blood. That sounds amazing. Which went straight to DVD slash VHS. You seen it? Yes, I've seen it many, many times. Amazing. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in like 20 years. Okay, okay. And then a third movie, but the third movie doesn't even have the Tales from the Crypt title on it. They yeah. were just contractually obligated to put out a third, sure. third movie. It's a horror anthology show. Every episode has a different cast, different directors, different creatives behind I it. I love it. With a vision that is tied together by issues of the comic book because pretty much every episode is an adaptation of an issue of the comic book. Mad. But not just Tales from the Crypt, also Vault of Horror. Yeah, I assumed as much. Yeah, so that they had enough content to, to, make, to make episodes, right? Yeah, because like you can tell from just these two that you sent me, there's a different feel in between them. So I feel like they would have been under two different ones. And that's why we watched two. Yeah. Because it's an anthology show. I felt like it made more sense for us to get a taste of what the show is like episode to episode. Yeah, mad call. And also these two episodes aired and premiered on the same date. Ah. They were packaged together. These two together make you really like pull you into the show. Yeah. And the talent involved beyond the producers in this show, is insane. It is wild. Were the actors who I would have recognized in these apps, were they big names at the time? I don't know if they're big names, but they're definitely names. Yeah, okay. We'll talk about it when we get into the to the episode. But so I want to talk specifically about who worked on those two episodes when we get to that. But there are, but there are so many other names that I'm going to quickly run really? through. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, do it. Directed episodes. And these are only directors. Like actors is a whole different thing. So they got guest thing. directors to come in and do each ep. Each episode has a different, dire- has a different director. Oh, did you say that? Sorry, I missed that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Most of them are movie directors. Wow. Not television You can directors. tell, man. We'll get to it, but fuck, it's good. These are only the directors. These are only people that directed shoot, episodes. Shoot, shoot, I have a long list. Okay. Here we go. Tom Holland, who directed Fright Night, Psycho 2, and Child's Play. Wow. Mary Lambert, who directed Pet Cemetery. Arnold Schwarzenegger. What? 
One of only two times he's ever directed anything. The other one is a romantic comedy Christmas movie called Christmas in Connecticut. That wow. It's just I strange. can't believe I've never even heard of it. Yeah. Chris Wallace, who was the special effects guy on the fly. Jack <gasps> Jack Shoulder, who directed The Hidden and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Rowdy Harrington, who directed uh, yeah. Roadhouse. Kevin Yeager, and I'm going to talk about Kevin Yeager more in a second because cool. he has another involvement with the show. J. Michael Reaver, who was the production designer on Halloween 2, Goonies, and the Lethal Weapon movies, and more recently, mm. Iron Man. He did pass away more recently. Tom Mankiewicz, he wrote three Bond movies and a Superman. Wow. Steven D'Souza, he wrote Commando, Die Hard, yeah, and directed the name. Street Fighter movie. Wow. Michael J. Fox. Wow. Stephen Hopkins, director of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, Predator cool. 2, Judgment Night, and The Ghost in the Darkness. Dope. Toby Hooper, director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Poltergeist. Poltergeist? Poltergeist. <laughs> Poltergeist and Life Force. And oh my God, we're going to talk about fucking Life Force. Dope. Russell Mulcahy, he went to my high school. He directed Highlander and Razorback. That's sick. Tom Hanks, William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, French Connection, and To Wait, Live and Die. did you skip over someone? No. Tom Hicks? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Oh, you looked at me for like a reaction. I was like, you didn't. Hinks. I don't know who that is. Hanks. <laughs> Holy shit. That's awesome. William Friedkin, director yeah. of The Exorcist, French Connection, and To Live and Die in LA. Mad. John Frankenheimer, Manchurian Candidate, Seconds, The Train, French Connection to Ronan. What the fuck? Kyle McLaughlin, Agent Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks Drink. <laughs> Bob Gale. Writer of Back to the Future and its sequels, Jeffrey Boehm, who wrote The Lost Boys and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. How did this show ever stop with this kind of talent? Gregory Wyden, who wrote and created Highlander. Mick Garris, who wrote Hocus Pocus and directed a bunch of Stephen King adaptations, including wow. the Stand uh, TV miniseries. Bob Hoskins. Wow. Eddie Valiant from Who Framed yeah. Roger Rabbit and Mario Mario in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah. Brian Helgeland, who wrote... L.A. Confidential, Payback with Mel Gibson and directed A Knight's Tale. Peter Hewitt, who directed Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Christopher Hart. Christopher Hart played Thing in the two Adams Family movies. Mad. He's the hand. Mad. And that's that's the end of that's the end of my list. That is a fucking list. It's insane. Holy I mean, there should shit. be more women on the list, but it's insane. Yeah, yeah, there really should be. But fucking, how did how did this show? Did it go out with a whimper or a bang? I think that the last season they moved to England. Right. And I think it, and it had a different vibe. Yeah. And I think it just ran out of steam eventually. Yeah. Okay. All these people. And if you look at that list of people, they're all like loosely connected with each other. Like, yeah. Like J. Michael Reaver, who's a production designer, is a production designer on Goonies and Richard Donner directed Goonies. And then other producers and actors. The Highlander guys. The Highlander, right. They all connected to each other in the, in being name directors or name writers or name yeah. crew people yeah. in that in the movie industry in the 80s early 80s and 90s yeah. it's, it's so insane it's and then fucking and that's, intense that's only the people behind the camera the actors are just as nuts like everybody's in this fucking show really everybody starring the crypt keeper yeah <laughs> voiced by john kazir He's mostly a voice actor, but has appeared in a lot of live action stuff. And he has hundreds of credits, but he's mostly a voice guy. He's the current voice of Scrooge McDuck. Mm, mad. The Crypt Keeper is obviously a puppet. He's an animatronic yeah. puppet created by Kevin Yeager, who I mentioned he also directed an episode, yep. right? He was in charge of the look of Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street from part two through to part four. He designed Chucky from Child's Play. Amazing. And he also worked on other movies that we have kind of talked about or are kind of on the list. The Hidden, Bill and Ted, Face Off, Starship Troopers, Sleepy Hollow. Fuck. And on and on and on. The Crypt Keeper 
He's is, cool, man. He's the Freddy Krueger of this show. He's the like, he's the only thing that's consistent, right? So mm. he's the brand. Yeah. He was spun off into a Saturday morning cartoon. Doing what? Called Tales from the Crypt Keeper. It's horror stories for kids. I've been feeling a little burned out lately, so I'm taking a last-minute vacation. I want to go someplace that's relaxed and scare-free. This week's terror tale, it's a little gem of ghastliness I call, while the cat's away. Yeah, dude, it fucking is horrible histories. (laughs) There was also Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House, a game show for children. Surviving slimy swamps, where every room presents another morbid challenge, another eerie and impossible mission for all those snoopy kids who dare to enter my chambers of horror. Here's Steve Thunder! Welcome to your Saturday morning crude awakening. You got an appointment with the Crypt Keeper. Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's haunted house pits two teams of two against each other in five different gaming events. The name of the game is to score as many points as possible. Give it up for our daredevils that are going to do battle with the Crypt See, oh, the funny thing is, is like he is horrible looking, but he's also kind of fucking cool and cute. Well, he's funny. Yeah. So many puns. <laughs> there isn't even that many puns in the first two episodes. In the movie, it's ridiculous. He also had a hit song. Shut up. Called The Crypt Jam, which I'm going to play Lie for you in the room. Thank you. Even the video clip is really well done. Oh yeah. All right. Just some sexy dancing crypt keeper. Is that what I'm looking at right now? And some, oh my god, some break dances. Was that the Crypt Keeper in uh, Short Round's clothes? Oh my god. What am I watching? It's fucking not bad, hey? <laughs> it's not a bad beat. I have a YouTube playlist at home that is every 80s and 90s rap song from movies. <laughs> oh, no. Kidding. Because it was a trend, right? Where over the end credits, no matter what the tone of the movie, you have a rap song. There's Nightmare on Elm Street has several. I'm so glad that that is not a trend anymore, but I'm also very upset that that's not a trend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The Adams Family has an MC Hammer song at the end of it. Are you fucking kidding? No, it's fucking amazing. I have a whole playlist. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Anyway. That was fucking cooler. And so, yeah, every episode of the show starts and ends with the Crypt Keeper in a wraparound where he introduces the story and just Mm. puns the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So let's get into- Is this style kind of like done before? It has been imitated- yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of places that I so know of a, now. There's a there's a style to there used to be 
this thing where on local television, when they would show horror movies, they would have a person that introduced the movies. And sometimes they would be, they would, you know, have a skeleton puppet friend that they would bounce, they would bounce off of. Bizarre. Yeah, right. Sven Gulli is the one that Sven Gulli. There was like a big deal in in the in parts of the United States, and because it was all local television, there was lot there was lots of them. Yeah, man. Right. They kind of make fun of it in Gremlins too. There's the old guy who's dressed like Dracula who gets fired. He's introducing the old the old horror movies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's it's that kind of. thing. I can imagine some real world ones now. I can yeah. remember some real world ones. The keeper well. kind of fills that role. Yeah. It also, just ties everything to get everything together. It's a weird trend, but I love it. There was that vampire lady. Yeah. Yeah. Vampire. Yeah. Vampira, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So episode one, The Man Who Was Death, based on Crypt of Terror issue number one. This is a really fucking strong start. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come out of the gates real strong. So it's Fucking, first of all, I just need to point out the only black man is the one who's- Who gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. And that is unfortunate casting, but yeah. It's a deliberate well, choice. Oh. Oh, it's absolutely- There's a line yeah. about it later- and I didn't realize if that was being self-aware or not. I think that they're making a deliberate choice. Right. Interesting. That yes. makes it so much better. So directed and co-written by Walter Hill, who I mentioned before, yep. directed The Warriors and Streets of Fire. Oh, is this and, his one? And The 48 Hours. Yeah, he's one of the executive producers. The two episodes we watch are both directed by executive producers of the show. Oh, my God. Who were directors. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Starring William Sadler, credited as Bill Sadler, as Niles Talbot, a man who enjoys his work a little bit too much. He is around in a lot of places. He is death in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. You have sunk my battleship. Excellent! Yeah! I totally knew he put it in the J's, dude. Good thinking, Ted. You must play me again. What? Um, best two out of three. No way! Yes way. And Is that Bill him? And Bill and Ted face the music. Yes, he's one of my favorites. He's unrecognizable. Then he's also the bad guy in Die Hard Two. Die Hard. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. He's the guy at the opening of Die Hard Two who's doing naked Tai Chi. Oh yeah, fuck! I have tied into our D and D game. Oh, wait, when is it coming? No. We had a flashback where a man was doing naked Tai Chi in front of windows overlooking a yes. city. Yes, I recall. That was taken directly from Die Hard 2. <laughs> I didn't even realize at the time. Well, you, you guys forgot about that fucking Dude, scene. you layer in so <laughs> much so fucking much subtext yeah, to know. the things that you do. Yeah. It's like 30 things go past, but you catch five. Yeah, he will show up in another episode later on. And he's also the one of the stars of Demon Knight. Details from the crypt movie. Mad. He came back for the movie. As a separate character? Yeah, completely different. When he, comes he back, when he comes back, is he the same character in no. the show? No. Oh, okay. So he just re- like comes back to the show to play He's another. recurring, yeah, yeah okay. because the show doesn't have any continuity. He's sure. Playing a I thought maybe he played like a, someone in hell or something. No, 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 no. We're open with the crypt keeper. Getting into the, into the plot of the episode. Mm. We're open with the crypt keeper. Our story is about a man with nobler ambitions. He likes to kill human pests, and he does it in front of an audience. Now that's entertainment. (laughs) So hang on to your hats, kitties. This one's a real shocker. 
Real shocker. Real shocker. Yeah, the puns are uh, fast and plenty. So we meet Talbot. He's an executioner in charge of the electric chair at a prison and uh, loves his work and he loves electricity. It's dependable. You can trust it. It's great. It's straight away. And so he's talking to the camera the whole time. Is he it, turns and talks to the camera. It opens with them doing a, 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 a execution first up, right? Yeah, and they're executing the narration. Black, they're executing the black man first yeah. and he's talking over the top of it. But then he does turn and talk directly to camera, which yeah. he does through the whole episode, which I think is a great choice. It is cool. Um, it's getting all that dialogue that would have been like thought bubbles in a comic book yeah. into the into the show by having him talk directly to us. I guess right about now, Charlie Ledbetter's starting to think pretty serious about that valley of death. He's thinking about that rubber diaper they give him to wear, wondering if he's going to crap all over himself when I juice him in a couple minutes. You're right, because it's it, it like... I realize now that it's a conscious choice to have a black man that they're executing and everyone else in the scenes are white. What he's saying feels vaguely racist, right? Because he is. Yeah, yeah. right? And there then, are some lines in, in the show. I just want to like run them by you though because I want to know whether or not you think it's character or whether a thing of the time. Okay, sure. They're all dark with him when I'm done, when the bartender asks oh, yeah, that's, that's, the character. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, he's being racist on, racist on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Because the bartender's like, oh, black guys tend to get executed more. And he goes, oh, they're all dark when I'm done with them. So like, he's playing it like, well, I don't really see color, but the, there's the, but the there's, there's problem the real, in lies with that statement as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what about, now, I don't want to say this out loud because it's kind of been an issue, you know, like we've stopped saying it. But easy peasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, same thing. I think it's so. In that time period, was that something that was. Walter Hill also makes movies that have like fiery race politics in them. Interesting. 48 Hours is Eddie Murphy as a black man teamed up with a. and a criminal teamed up with a white cop. That's not incendiary though. No, but there is a lot of like racial tension between the two of them through the through the entire movie, and there's a lot of like Eddie Murphy gets like slurred a lot in that in that in that movie. So Walter Hill make I don't think Walter Hill is a racist. No, I think Walter Hill is interested in exploring the dynamic, and exposing that kind of thing of of. Yeah, that kind of tough guy mentality and 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 racial politics in that time. So it's built in also, again, part of his DNA. It's built into his work. So whether or not he's like sometimes he's going, this is shit and I'm showing you or and sometimes he's going, well, this is just part of part I, of the character. I think that it, for him, it's like part of the reality of the of the situations and types of movies that he makes. Yeah. Interesting. Right. OK. 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 Yeah. Unfortunately for, for Niles, even though he loves his job, the death penalty gets abolished in his state um, and he misses it. So after kind of chatting with a, the warden and not being able to get his old job back and then chatting with a bartender about all the problems in the problems in the world, he goes back to work, walking the streets at night, monologuing to camera and yeah. talking about how even though he's a country boy, he loves how dirty the city is. I'm a country boy, but I like the city, you know? Big, dirty, let's know what it really is. But at night, there's all those lights. It's real pretty, isn't it? My name's Niles Talbot. I've been the executioner in this state for the last 12 years. When I got here from Oklahoma, I caught on as an electrician, and after a while, I got a job out to the prison, taking care of the generators. 
I like electricity. It's dependable. You can trust it. Taking justice into his own hands, he starts electrocuting people that got off. Yeah. Even though they were guilty. Yeah. I, I couldn't realize that we were watching like a show about a vigilante. I was like, is this what the show is about? Like when I was still trying to figure out what the show was about. Did you I, think it was one story? I thought it was, no, no, no. I, I knew it was more of a serial, but I thought it was going to be more of this tone. Right. Like murderers who murder or like people who murder, but then like maybe have a good premise to them, a good like moral something to them. You know what I mean? I thought it was going to be like a it's, dark justification of it's darkness. It's usually bad people getting what they deserve. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first guy that he executes is Jimmy Flood, who's a biker. I got nothing special against bikers. Hell, I used to own a hog myself once upon a time. Bikers believe in freedom. They don't want nobody to lean on them, and they don't give a good goddamn what polite society thinks of See, they figure they're throwbacks to real Americans. You know, what the country was all about before it all went to hell, with big city lawyers and computers, corporations, time clocks and what all. There's a lot to be said for that. Those ain't bad ideas. But this biker, Jimmy Flood, now he went way out of line. Of course, he uses electricity because that's his thing. Yeah. Doesn't just like stab or shoot a guy. He comes up with a convoluted way to kill people. Brilliant. Brilliant. He has to have an MO. Yeah. Modus operandi. And then he kills a guy and his mistress because they murdered the guy's wife. He works quickly, man. Well, the show works quickly because the episodes are short. The first one goes for 26 minutes. The second one's even shorter. Yeah. It's a, it's. I really like it. I've been really enjoying um, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah, I fucking love right? that. Yeah. Because I like, they're all mostly adaptations of short stories, right? And yeah. this is kind of the same thing, except that the short story is a, is a comic book. I like being kind of this kind of like bite-sized coming into a world. The world Learning building. about it yeah. real quick. The efficiency of storytelling. Yeah. There's no, t- there's no time to really set things up and pay things off in an exposition-y way. It's all on the move. Yeah. Right. Because you need to be, you've only got 26 minutes or 22 minutes in, I mean, Love, Death and Robots are even shorter, sometimes yeah. only 10 minutes. It kind of relies on the strength of the idea rather than the strength of like, say the dialogue, like the dialogue isn't great in every scene, but the idea and what's going on in each scene is, is strong. And then he is working on trying to kill a, a sex worker by electrocuting her in her go-go cage. Yeah. But that's what gets him caught. Yeah. I love how they just like cut out all the unnecessary shit. People looking for him going, oh, there's this other killer out there that's like electrocuting people. They just like, no, of course there's people out there looking for him and he's going to get caught because he's quite obvious when he's doing it. Like he's electrocuting all of these people. And of course the twist being that when he is caught, it's just as the death penalty is being brought back and he gets his own medicine strapped to his own chair. Yeah, well, don't they say executed. he's one of the reasons that the death but, penalty yeah, come back? Yeah, because the crime didn't go down. Yeah. <laughs> it went up because yeah. he was doing crime. Yeah. And then, yeah, he gets executed in his own chair. His last words are... It's my job. That's why I did it, because it's my job. If a man ain't good at his job, then what the hell is he good for? What's anything good for? 
I love in the bit when they're dragging him to the chair and he's just like, he's doing the same thing. The governor's going to call. Governor's gonna governor's call. Gonna call. He turns yellow just like he accused of Absolutely. all the other people that he is just the same as he's all exactly these other the, people. Exactly yeah. The same, yeah. And, he, and, and he, I love the pleading as well. It's like, I used to work with you. I used to work with you. Come on. And he gets, so there's the guy that looks him in the eyes as he puts the, the, uh, the head cap on, which yeah. is what he used to do as well is always yeah. look people in the eyes. Cause I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Right. The same thing happens earlier on in the story. We learned that he can't have his old job back, which was running the generators in the prison. So it's the guy he trained. Yeah. yeah because he trained up a new guy. Yeah. yeah. Is it the guy he trained that flips the switch? I'm pretty sure it is because there's almost a look of recognition, but there's also like a coldness to it. So it's like, of course he trained someone that's similar to him. I couldn't decide whether it had a noir or a cowboy western kind of vibe to the narration that's kind of walter hill right so it's noiry but walter i've kind of complained about walter hill on the podcast before but i'm actually going to praise him for this because okay. i have a thing with walter hill which i don't you probably don't remember but he makes tough <laughs> i guy, don't remember anything yeah, he makes like tough guy movies right yeah. and i usually have an issue with his movies is that everybody that's sounds right. yeah. the same everybody sounds like the same tough guy right yeah. he doesn't have any variation in tone I think that serves the purpose of this story really, really well. There are movies of his that I love. Some of his directors, some of my favorite movies. It's mostly just like the movies of his that I don't vibe with, that I just don't feel like it works. But do you feel like, because what I think is that the, it's the, episode, the episode had a noir anti-hero it's kind lit. of vibe. It's lit like a noir yeah, thing. Yeah, but the character was a bit of a Western character. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, with his values, it was a bit of a Western guns, gunslinger kind of character. There's a movie that I think kind of gives you the the in on Walter Hill's DNA as a filmmaker. Right? Yeah. It is one of his later movies, and it's a movie that didn't do very well. It's a movie that was a massive flop. It's a Bruce Willis movie called Last Man Standing. Oh, uh, yeah. And Last Man Standing is a remake of Yojimbo. No. Which is a Akira Kurosawa movie. Okay. That was also remade as a spaghetti western called A Fistful of Dollars. Oh, yeah. It's the gunslinger, lone gunslinger coming into town. Yeah. And then playing two gangs that are warring with each other, with, with each other off each other to his advantage. Yeah, that's mad. Good movie? I've only seen it once. It was a very long time ago. When he did it, he said it in 1930s Prohibition era. Yeah. And that, I think, is Walter Hill, right? Yeah. He's a tough guy, movie guy. So he made a gangster version of a Western yeah. That is also based on a samurai movie. Yeah, very true. And I think that that's who Walter Hill is. And you have you have mentioned briefly in the past about how like these genres kind of lift from each other. They influenced each other back yeah. and forth across across the sea. I just love how all the narration throughout the the app is kind of like this meditation on death. Yes. And like judgment. It was it was really like whether or not you agree with him or not as a character. It's just interesting to hear this character muse about what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. After he's executed, he's still talking. Yeah. And we get... I didn't want no haircut. They said that was a mistake because my head might catch on fire from the electricity when they juice me. I told them, don't worry. The governor gonna call. 
Yeah, and then to cut back to his hair smoking and him like lifeless eyes. That yeah. was a really strong end. And then back with the uh, back with the crypt keeper to wrap up. Cat, what a revolting development, and what a switch for poor Talbot. It just goes to show you what happens when you get too caught up in your work. Don't worry, though. I'm sure he never knew what hit him. <laughs> so remember, boys and girls, safety first. <laughs> love the Crypt Keeper. Like, the thing is, is the Crypt Keeper doesn't have to be that strong. I love just how he's relishing in the story. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's very much into the into the violence of it all. He's I wonder what in- mechanism that does to my brain. Like, do I like it more because he's enjoying it? I don't know. It sets a tone to let you know that it's okay to enjoy this very dark story. Interesting. So it's it's and you can take it with some levity. Some levity, yeah. right? So it's a very obviously it's about a dude that that becomes a vigilante and executes people. Like it should be really dark. And, yeah. But it's actually played for. F- it's played for kind of dark enjoyment. It's played mm. for dark humor and dark fun. And the Crypt Keeper lets you know that that's okay. Yeah. That's fucking interesting. It's okay to enjoy this. Yeah. Right. You're not. And you, like the bad know. guy got what they deserved so we can relish in it that's a little r- bit. That's yeah. right. There's a morals. There is kind of like a moral arc to this, to the story. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. One of the things that stands out for me aside from the story, is just how fucking good it looks. Thank you. Yes. Okay, I didn't the, bring that up. The photography is incredible. Yeah. It Even looks like sets. a movie. Yes. Okay. I was going to save this for the next episode because the introduction uh, uh, sequence in the next episode is ro- really strong. We'll talk very specifically about the photography of the second episode. I okay. have something to say. But in general, in the first episode, also just gorgeous. It's shot beautifully. There's this fucking amazing like telephoto shot of William... Sadler standing on a street while he's monologuing and it could be out of any movie of the era. That's it doesn't like look like start, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like television at all. It's so good. HBO used to used to one of its slogans was it's not television, it's HBO. Yeah, yeah, man. They were positioned as a premium network where you would see high quality television and, and movies. So it's part of the. F- they had money, man. Shot I mean, on, shot it's on still kind of HBO, isn't it? Right? Ah, uh, they've. Sh- uh, well, let's not get into the politics of how HBO is going right now. Okay, it's, you know they're cancelling movies for tax write-offs. So, <laughs> okay. But shot on thirty-five millimeter film, lit yeah. like a, lit like a movie. Looks fucking amazing. Even the, we watched it in standard definition, right? Yeah, and it looked amazing. It in really did. Definition. The, so I, my kingdom the for a darks. Fucking, my kingdom for a 4K restoration of this show. <laughs> We're gonna move on to the second episode because okay. I've got something. I've got something. Okay, okay. But before we do, I have to talk about that. During the end credits of the show, we actually hear the show's theme song because the the will theme music. It doesn't play at the beginning of the show. It plays at the, plays at the end of the show. I didn't pay close attention. Uh, it's composed by Danny Elfman, composer of the score for 
Batman. Yeah. Most of Tim Burton's work, actually, and is the singing voice of Jack Skellington in A Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, I didn't know that. And so he does huh. the, the theme that plays over every episode. And the credits what a play fucking voice. The credits play over like a uh, a model shot of a haunted of a haunted house yeah. that kind of moves through it. It's very feels Tim Burton. Any like other names that appear in the credits that went on to do big things? I mean, even just the cinematographer of this episode, the cinematographer of this episode is John Leonetti, who's worked on tons of different stuff. And I'm going to talk specifically about the cinematographer of this episode. Okay. So moving on to the second episode, aired on the same night as episode one, and it's all through the house based on Vault of Horror issue number 35. This was also adapted in the 1972 film. It's one of the stories that got adapted in the, in the film. So I think it's one this of This one more, was a strong concept. I think it's one of the more famous Tales from the Crypt stories. Yeah. Or, you know, AC comic stories. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Heck Director dick. of the Back to the Future movies and who framed Roger, Roger Rabbit. No wonder this has such a strong sense of- Visual storytelling. Yeah, but you also are aware of space like we've discussed before. Yeah. There's so much tension in this app as well. Written by Fred Decker- Director of a movie called Night of the Creeps that's on the list. Uh, have you mentioned that before? No. He also directed The Monster Squad. Of course. And, unfortunately, Robocop 3. <laughs> and starring Robert Zemeckis's wife at the time. Wow. Mary Ellen Trainer. Good on Robert Zemeckis. As Elizabeth. She's the mum from Goonies and the mum from Monster Squad. Oh, and the, and the psychologist from Lethal Weapon. Oh my God. She is someone who I feel like I recognize. You have seen her all over the yeah. place through your entire entire life. You yeah. So Mary she just Ellen plays Trail. like the gorgeous, strong blonde kind yeah. of thing. Or mothers. She played yeah. mothers a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Marshall Bell as her husband, very briefly. Yeah. He he loves to get killed in shit, I swear, right? Nightmare on Elf Street Part 2. Yeah. Total Recall, Starship Troopers, lots of stuff. Oh, he gets his brain sucked in Starship Troopers. No, he's the commander that goes crazy. Yeah, and gets his brain. Oh, no, he gets his head cut off. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's the one who's like got the fingers in the brain. In going, the brain. They suck their brains out, man. That's Marshall Bell, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. And Larry Drake as Santa. He's in Karate Kid very briefly. You would never remember him. He's one of the goons that harasses Daniel and Mr. Miyagi at the beach. Yeah, okay. When Mr. Miyagi uh, breaks the bottles. He's also the bad guy, Durant, in Sam Raimi's Darkman, which is currently on our list. Oh, shit. Yes. The cinematographer of this episode is Dean Kundi. And- I don't know that. Have I heard that name? I don't know. I don't know if you've heard names. I never know if you've heard names. Yeah, I generally figure it out by what you say. You generally ignore my question and then I figure it out. I'm going to tell you about (laughs) Dean Kundi. He worked a lot with John Carpenter. Okay. He's the cinematographer on Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which we- Yes, we know that intimately, even though I've never seen the film. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) I got you. Uh, That needs a little bit of explanation. So for Halloween one year, I did a D&D campaign that was a sequel Mm -hmm. to Halloween 3, Mm -hmm. in which you all played- it was a Characters. controversial game. It went for. Listen, it only went for twelve hours. I it don't know. What literally it went for twelve hours, and I was livid at Kean by the end of that game. Anyway, but I fucking loved it. Back to Dean Kundi. Back to the Future and its sequels. Big Trouble in Little China. Wow. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Wow. Roadhouse. Oh shit! So he's literally worked with every one of the producers. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Wow, of course. And on and on and on. He's still working. I don't know how they 
take the level of skill that they get from those big movies and they condense it down into an episode like this and yeah. you still get that vibe. Yeah. Even though you can see the quality loss, but you still see the quality that's in it. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, as I was kind of typing that list out, it occurred to me that Dean Kundi might be my favorite cinematographer of all time or Fully. one or one off because yeah. when I think about movies I love the look of, yeah. I would probably list like half of those more than half of those movies. And what's great about the ones that you listed as well is the cinematography isn't just beautiful, it's functional. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you yes. know what I mean when I say that, right? Yeah, like absolutely. you really have an idea of like space. I fucking go on about space, hey. Yeah. No, well it's important. Yeah. Geography is is one of the vital components of storytelling, especially and, in horror, I reckon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Horror. Yeah. 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 Um so let's talk a little bit about the, about the plot of the second episode. We start with the Crypt Keeper wearing a complete Santa suit and mask. Ho, 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 kiddies. Just your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, having a little holiday fun. Why else would I be in this getup? Unless there was a clause in my contract. <laughs> in fact, I've got some Christmas goose for you. Goosebumps, that is. Yes, indeedy. A little terror tale chock full of holiday fear. I mean, cheer, of course. So, you're the gander of a yuletide yelp yarn that goes a little something like this. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Yeah, really kind of creepy. <laughs> well, did this come out around Christmas? Like, did these episodes get released? You know around I didn't Christmas? write down what, what I was going to write down the air date, and then I didn't, and I don't know. So I, I probably, love probably a strong not. choice either way. On a snowy Christmas Eve, Elizabeth, an unhappy woman, murders her husband with a fire poker. As upstairs, her daughter is very excited because Santa is coming. You got the poker, sleep. dear? Something needs to be done about that fire. Have you got the poker? Yes. Well, let me have it. What did you say? What are you, deaf? I said, let me have it. Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch. Great, great. Again, real strong fucking opening. Yeah. Just like the wife who you can clearly tell is just like not happy with her man walks behind him with the poker because she's like staring at it wistfully, walks behind it, boom, the side poke straight into the temple, uh, not the temple, the top of the forehead. Of the Such a strong opening. Just no ifs, ands, or buts just yeah. happens. She starts to try to dispose of the body. Yeah. She's going to throw it down a well that's in their yard. How do wells work? Is there like a a river? Like this is real dumb of me to, but is there like a where no, usually the water, water, goes? water comes up from the, from below? It just yeah. seeps it in. Seeps so the body the wouldn't have gone anywhere. No, 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 no. It's a terrible plan. <laughs> okay, it's okay. a horrendous plan. Yeah. As she's trying to get rid of the body, she almost locks herself out. They play with the door. They yeah. build tension about where tension her, in this they, man. They show where her keys are, so you understand yep. where her keys are. She goes out the door. She almost locks herself out, but she doesn't lock herself out. Yeah. And we hear on the CV that a madman has escaped a local asylum, killing several people, and he's dressed as Santa. Come on, Joseph. We'll continue our music for Christmas Eve after KEC News on the Hour. And now here's Tracy Donahue with the headlines. Police and sheriff's departments in the Gaines County area have issued an all-points bulletin this evening for a male Caucasian reported to have brutally murdered four women in the Pleasantville area. 
County authorities say that the man, a patient at the Pleasantville Institute for the Criminally Insane, escaped earlier this evening and should be considered extremely dangerous. Officials confirm that the suspect is a heavyset man in his late 40s and is reported to be wearing a Santa Claus suit stolen from the home of one of his victims. All citizens in the Pleasantville Gaines area are advised to remain in their homes until further notice throughout this emergency alert situation. It also does this thing that I really love, which is I always relate it back to Hitchcock, right? Mm. Which is murder is actually really hard, you guys. Like Hitchcock yep. does it a couple in a couple of his movies, very specifically in a movie called The Trouble with Harry, which is fucking amazing. Getting rid of a body is hard. In The Trouble with Harry, the trouble with Harry is he keeps on coming back. <laughs> oh yeah. Right? I vaguely remember that movie. It's amazing. It's incredible. Like it's it's so old fashioned and wonderful and wonderful. It has a happy ending where everybody cheers and laughs like yeah. in a fucking sitcom. Yeah. Like it's wild, right? <laughs> but it also has this like very dark sense of humor to it yeah it's like and this has the same similar kind of thing where you're like it's hard to get rid of that body she's like trudging him down those stairs and there's there's not much levity in this episode but the the uh hijinks of the back and forth was really kind of a little bit lighter the i don't en- know how to explain the that. entertainment and the levity or the humor in it is is she going to get caught? How is she going to get away with this? Which and, doesn't and like sound like the, levity. You know what I mean? But, but it, it is, is, it when is you watch entertaining. It. it makes you yeah. smile because it's like, oh my God, oh, yeah. the door. Like, oh, whatever, right? Yeah. And, then, and it's it also, funny how suspense, when played in a certain thing, can be humor. Yeah. Yeah. And so the plot kind of progresses in, in when Santa shows up mm. and she realizes that she can pin the murder on the Santa. No, officer. I didn't kill him. Santa did it. Didn't you, Santa? Didn't you? And so she puts an axe into her husband's face. Yep. Her missing to the left and to the right. So good. It's just, it's being playful with the audience. Like it's... It's fucking around with expectations. Yeah, that's what it is. It's f- the, that fuck around that it's, brings the levity to it. Yeah, it's yeah. literally like as a director fucking around with an audience by going, she's going to put this axe in his face. Oh, no, she missed. Yeah. Oh, she missed again. Oh, yeah. no, she got him that time. And the, they are, there are those moments of actual levity when like the guy's dead on the lounge and it's like, why didn't stepdad say goodnight to me? Oh, he's sleeping. And then he smacks straight down on the table. So that that stuff's still pretty light. So she ends up knocking Santa out. There's all these shenanigans. Santa is coming at her though as well. Like Santa's Santa's menacing in this. Yeah, he's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Drake is creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he's great in it. She ends up accidentally kind of locking herself in a closet. Mm. And then there's also this bit where- Such a good bit. Yeah. yeah, That is actual horror. She ends up, uh, she talks to a cop on the phone. The cop says they're going to be there in 20 minutes. So it puts a clock on it as well. She's going to get rid of the body in like 20 20 minutes. She locks herself in a closet trying to get to a gun. It just keeps doubling down and the the suspense- doesn't ever go away because everything that's happening is always still in it the layers. background. Yeah, everything gets layered yes. on top of each other, right? Like she loses a keys down a crack in the crack in the. We stairs. know that Santa's knocked out and not double tapped, so we know he's still in the background. And then we know there's a body still in the front. She left a, she left the daughter's window open. Exactly, and, and there's yes. snow coming in, and it wakes up the daughter, and then the daughter goes and sees the Santa, and she's so excited to see Santa. Yeah, it really and does lay it see, on. And uh, Elizabeth can see that through the window in the window in the closet. Yeah. I knew. 
And then and then the ending is like real dark. Yeah. She gets out of the closet, goes downstairs and finds her daughter thinking she's safe. Mm. But she's holding hands with Santa, yeah. who she has let in through the front door yeah. of the house because it's she Santa. couldn't reach him in the window. She couldn't reach him at the window. And Santa asks Elizabeth, Hey, Mommy, I told you Santa would come, and he didn't even have to come down the chimney. I let him in. I was very upset that we didn't get a, 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 a resolution. That's part of the fucking with you. Yeah. That's absolutely, it's a choice, right? Mm. It's a choice not to resolve the story. It's a choice for you to fill in what happens after that cut with your, with your mind in the darkest places. It did make the suspense stay with me until the Crypt Keeper came back. Yeah. And yeah. then, the, well, the Crypt Keeper kind of, gives us a what feels like a studio note to let us know that everything's going to be okay yeah. because he says to us how was that for a scream boys and ghouls oh don't worry about little carrie this particular santa preferred older women in pieces that is <laughs> well it just goes to show you be very careful what you ask for for Christmas. You might just get it. <laughs> so he just killed her mother in front of her. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the cinematography. Yes. That first pull out from the window in the snowy mm-hmm. outside where it's like even the outside is clearly a set. Um, oh, the whole thing's in a studio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of yeah. course. It is like, first of all, fucking beautiful, but it is like the, oh, just the the epitome of movies of that time. Was this like intentional to be like, oh, these are snippets of movies kind of thing? Yeah, because it's on HBO. Because they're right. trying to yeah, deliver yeah, yeah, a premium product. Yeah, yeah, of It's course. a high quality prestige product. If you think about it, you think about what HBO turned into, it turned into the place where TV shows look like movies. Game of Thrones, Deadwood, uh, very short-lived Carnival, The Mm. Sopranos. Mm. It was, we're going to take television and we're going to elevate it to the level of of movies. I did not think we were coming into this with this this quality level of show. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. The show's kind of pretty remarkable. And the thing is- I thought it was just going to be kind of shitty and fun and like, it's actually like, I can't even like talk about any bad points because it's just really well done. The show mostly keeps this level of quality. Like there's an occasional kind of dud episode. Yeah. As there is in any show like this. Sure. But most of the time it keeps this level of quality. All the, way, all the way through. The other thing I just wanted to point out is, did you notice all the split diopter shots in the second None. episode? None. None at all. Great Damn one it. Of, of her, uh, of Marshall Bell dead in the foreground. Yeah. With the, with them, with her talking to her daughter in the background. At the start. Yeah. There's another one. There's another one. The gun, the shot of the, of her in the closet where the gun oh, is Oh, that foreground. one's kind of obvious. Would that have been on the it's shelf? A, 
Uh, it's well, yeah. The split diopter is the shelf with the shelf in the foreground and and her yeah. in the background. Yeah, and that, so that's a, a um another a great horiz- beat of tension. How it's just out of reach, and she can touch it with her fingers, but yeah. can't get it. And it's a horizontal um, split diopter, which you'd see less. You usually see vertical split diopters. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Very yeah. true. So it's kind of kind of great. So I mean, that's that's kind of it for the for the two episodes. It's which, so good. So the kind of the question that I ask at the end of the TV episodes, as opposed to the um the movie ones, is would you watch Would you watch a hundred percent. When I sat down and finished watching the second episode, I think I realized I could watch this show like with Ellie and just like watch all of the show yeah. as one of our shows. What's really good though. Is so I've actually been making my way through them for like a couple of years. Oh really? Yeah. So I kind of come back. I keep on coming back to it. I used to watch them while I was, uh, I used to watch an episode while I was rowing. Oh yeah. And jump on my water row. That's and a watch good an idea. Right. There's nothing worse with rowing than being conscious of how, of ma- how much rowing, rowing you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So, wow. That's so such I've a good idea. Tales from the Crypt episodes while I was, while I was rowing. Yeah. Okay. I've seen quite a lot more of it. I think I'm into the third season. So I haven't seen, there's still like more than half of it to go for me, but I've been making my way through them for years and I think they're amazing. And I really, really wish that I could see them in HD, yeah. at least HD. I mean, I'd love to see them in 4k, but I just don't think it's ever going to, if it's ever going to happen, which is kind of a shame. Last, last little bits on that, on that second episode. I just had two things that I wanted to ask you. What do you reckon is the better piece of tension? Is it the ax missing when she's trying to put it in the head of her husband with the umbrella stand going at the door and like almost locking her out. Is that the best piece of tension or is it when Santa's knocked out in the backyard with a little crack in the um, shutters that she's looking through and then going back and forth with the phone? Cause she keeps like looking away from the window and you keep expecting she's going to look so back over okay, and he's gone. Actually, I'm glad that you brought that up cause I'd forgotten about it. But in the moment, something occurred to me that that is cause it's Dean Kundi. The yeah. cinematographer. That is almost a rerun of something that happens in Halloween. Yeah. In Halloween, there's an amazing shot of a babysitter on a phone that keeps on following the babysitter moving backwards and forwards. Yeah. And in the in the background is a dark doorway. Yeah. Where you keep on expecting Michael to show up. That's the thing, because you never you never go back to Santa and see that he's moved. That happens at another point. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of feels like that. Yeah, it's great. I'm I think the axe is played more for laughs. Yeah. So I think that the phone call is 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 better tension. The weird thing is though, is that the tension, the further it goes on and denies you that look out the window, it becomes kind of funny. You're like, just look, just fucking look. Yeah. But yeah. and that's the point of it. They're yeah. fucking with you. It's fucking great. Again, the quality level of a quality level of this show is just incredible. Can I ask you why is one twenty six and one twenty two? Because that's what the story came out to, and it's cable television. There's no ads, so it doesn't matter. Oh, interesting. Is that why generally all TV shows are twenty two now? Yeah, so TV shows generally come in uh, half hour shows uh, twenty two to twenty uh, to twenty four minutes. Yeah, and then there or sometimes twenty six minutes, and then there's the extra to the half hour is how much ad time you can put in them. Yeah, right. That's why and then, is an that why hour we- of television is forty four minutes because there's fifteen minutes worth of ads in so it. So cheap. On streaming now, has it changed? Streaming has allowed episodes to be as long as they need to be. Yeah. So okay. you will often get shows that have episodes that are the full shorter shorter or longer or whatever time they need to be for that episode. They're less yeah, concerned okay. with trying to fit a time period. Even like Stranger Things has episodes that run like Different 40, lengths, 40 minutes to, through to like two and a half hours. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, all the time. The Resort 
has episodes that run like 37 minutes and has episodes that run 20 minutes, which is a massive, massive. I never noticed. Yeah. So they have all different, all different times. And that's pretty much it. That's, that's the TV corner. You did a TV corner. Yeah. Thank you for, first of all, inviting me to TV corner. I love what you've done with the players. I wonder if we'll get a review saying that we should fire Kira. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that we will. No, I don't think we will. First of all, they will probably be our next review. Can Brody shut the fuck up? <laughs> like he needs to stop asking questions unrelated to the pod. Um, but yeah, no, nah, th- I, I thank you for introducing me to this show as well. You're very welcome. Sir. Yeah, it's great. So, I fucking loved it. Uh, come back next week or don't come back. For a return to your Do regularly that. scheduled VHS trash cinema. Oh shit! What is what does no, Kira say? Don't like, don't subscribe. No, what's her, what's her, what what are our what are our things? At Wicked Video. Ha! Got you to say it. Um, I knew what you were doing. Because <laughs> next week we are talking about Ghost in the Machine. Yeah. Uh, what an app. Which we've already seen. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> we already recorded that episode. What a great episode of the podcast, Ken. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to remember a quote from the Crypt Keeper. Fuck you guys and ghouls. Scene. <laughs> Take care. Permanent headaches, the end of the mission. For you have entered the Keeper's Terravision. So everybody just make that dash. A dash to the Crypt Keeper's Monster Bash. So come along with the Keeper's plan. For this is the Crypt Jam. 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 You horns. <laughs>